0: Welcome back to the Lime Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's beautiful conversation is with the good Dr. Sarah Reardon. She is a doctor of physical therapy, and she is a board-certified women's health and pelvic floor therapist, as well as a mother of two. And uh, she helps people sort out pelvic floor dysfunction And that is what this conversation is about. Uh, Interesting, fun tidbit. The adult diaper industry is soon to exceed that of the baby diaper industry. Modern humans are leaking out of their urethras. And there is a whole multitude of reasons for that. And a big part of that is pelvic floor dysfunction. Uh, Also, sexual health uh, prostate health. You could lump into that category. Um, overall athleticism, um, pressure within the body, understanding how to access intra-abdominal pressure to create strength, leverage all the things. It is all tied back to a healthy, buoyant hammock of a pelvic floor. And that is what this sweet conversation is about with my girl, Dr. Sarah reared in. I want to thank you guys for subscribing so you get each week's episodes. Thank you for leaving us reviews on Apple Podcasts wherever you listen to this it just takes a second and is very supportive. I read them all and I read them on here as well. So I want to thank this is comes from JDBF211 uh, they say awesome have learned so much interesting and useful information from this show. Love the diverse topics and guests. Thank you JDB211 uh, appreciate you guys. I hope you're having a tremendous new year. I hope uh, if you guys started the Align Method program I hope you are enjoying that. I love seeing the comments and I've really enjoyed the live Q and A's. We do each Friday. If you want more information about getting on the waiting list for that, it'll open up back again in March. And that's found at the A M P jump on the waiting list because the first 500 people will be the only ones that get access to it. Appreciate you guys. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's go first. Thank you so much for making time to do this. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I think the pelvic floor is, well, let's just start off. Why is the adult diaper industry exceeding that of the baby diaper industry? It either is or will be soon. What the hell is going on?
1: I, you know, I think that, that is an amazing question and a way, amazing way to frame it. I think that we often think that bladder issues or urinary leakage or pelvic floor problems are an acceptable and normal part of aging when that is just not the case. I think that, um, you know, we're really coming into a time of healthcare where we're thinking more about prevention and wellness and things that we can do to optimize our pelvic health or just health in general. Versus historically, I think healthcare has been a lot of, okay, all these problems are going to happen and we're just going to do damage control after mm-hmm. the fact. And so I think the narrative is changing. I think people are really seeking more information about how can I, you know, live my best life and not just deal with these problems that maybe the medical society or society in general have. Told me are just supposed to be normal and I just have to deal with them.
0: What would some of the root physiological, anatomical, lifestyle, maybe psycho, somatic? I don't know. What are what are the root causes of people leaking? What is this is this we're sitting on chairs too much? Is this <laughs> old trauma, ancestral trauma held in the womb? Right. This is,
1: Right, I think we can draw back to a lot of things that there is a genetic component, um, but ultimately, what we are thinking about when we talk about pelvic floor health is there's a basket of muscles that sit at the base of your pelvis, which we refer to as your pelvic floor, your pelvic floor muscles, and those muscles are responsible for, you know, supporting your pelvic organs throughout the day. So that includes your bladder, your bowels, um, your your reproductive organs. And then there are sphincters that are part of this muscle that we want to stay closed throughout the day as our bladder is filling, as our bowels are filling. And then when we go to the restroom, we want to relax those muscles to empty. I think there are a couple things that are contributing to either bladder issues like incomplete emptying. We do sit a lot and we don't move enough. And we tend to carry stress in our bodies, which can cause us to tense up those muscles. Which can lead to difficulty emptying our bladders, you know, um, pushing to pee, pushing to poop, constipation, hemorrhoids, and when it comes to leakage, I think that we often may put excess pressure on these muscles, the way that and which weakens them over time, and then they don't respond or can't contract well enough to hold leakage in when we cough or sneeze or jump rope or run. So some of those common things are restraining, we are lifting heavy weights without the proper mechanics of breathing and pressure management in our bellies. We're straining during childbirth, you know, labors include a lot of medication now. And so people are pushing on their backs for an extended period of time, weakening their pelvic floor muscles over that period, and there's no rehab or recovery afterwards. And we're pushing throughout our day. We're pushing to pee because we're in a hurry when we pee. We're straining to poop because we don't have great digestion or activity levels, and that leads to constipation. So all of these little things typically tend to add up, and over time, it can create pelvic floor weakness, which is often what leads to urinary leakage.
0: So strain could be a hermetic stressor that makes you stronger, and then a, a chronic strain that won't let up could lead to breakdown. So is there some balance of oscillation of contraction, relaxation that we're missing and we're stuck in in contraction and probably inhibition of other places?
1: Totally. I think it's a great way to put it. And, you know, when I think we often, the narrative that I grew up with, you know, I'm 40 and I think throughout my 20s and 30s, it was like, pull in your pelvic floor, tighten your, your abdomen, suck in your belly button, you know, do your Kegels. It was all about tightening, tightening, tightening. And then we add that into the way that we function in our society is fast paced, um, you know, stressful, high functioning, we're sitting a lot, we're stressed a lot, and all of that tension builds in our body. And so our, our muscles don't even know how to relax anymore. We see this a lot with people who have headaches, and they have tight shoulder and neck muscles, and they get headaches. It's the same thing for your pelvic floor, you hold this tension, and you can't relax it necessarily.
0: How does a person take steps now? to prevent themselves from peeing themselves later if you're 15 years old 25 years old 35 years old 45 years old 60 years old like what's it's are there different exercises for different people different lifestyle choose choices what are some of the main culprits in our lifestyle choices that are inducing such scenarios for us like how do we prevent that and if it's and if it's happening how do we how do we start to rework the way that we live so we we resolve that
1: Right, and I think a lot of it we can. I'll address this in two parts. I think one of it we want to look at what are the causes, and some of those causes may change depending on what season of our lives we're in. I think if you are a you know maybe a younger, more active person, a lot of it is it may be kind of exercise induced. We there's a high incidence of urinary leakage in athletes, whether it's runners or gymnasts or cheerleaders or um, weightlifters. So looking at the activities that you're doing, that there's typically a lot of pressure or pounding down there's a lot of high impact you really want to be able to um avoid holding your breath the biggest thing is i tell people don't hold your breath when you're working out it should be you should be able to breathe and there's kind of certain techniques we teach people to do that um making sure that you have great digestion so you're not straining with bowel movements and make sure that you're not pushing when you pee simply like don't push when you pee sit chill you know, allow your bladder to empty for you. Sit, don't hover. I know a lot of folks like to kind of squat over the toilet, but you know, sitting and relaxing and allowing your bladder to empty. When we get into the stage of life where someone may be pregnant or postpartum, I really recommend working with a pelvic health physical therapist. Your body is going through a huge transformation. Your core and pelvic floor are relaxing and stretching. And you want to be able to, you know, modify your lifestyle and exercise to accommodate that and also prepare for births. You're not doing a lot of pushing and straining. And then you can strengthen your pelvic floor muscles on the other side. I think later in life, we start looking at more prostate issues in males or menopause where hormones change and that can lead to some um, weakness of your muscles and leakage over time. Again, focusing more on strengthening. So I think it just depends on what season you're in. There's no kind of cookie cutter approach unfortunately, because it's a one, it's not a one size fits all, um, you know, uh, solution. It's really looking at what are the root causes of these symptoms, and then starting to work on those from the ground up.
0: Are there uh, specific exercises a person could do? I mean, I know there are, are there specific exercises a person could do at home now to start to one, gain a relationship with their pelvic floor? Um, And to strengthen or release or relax or engage or whatever combination cocktail of tonicity is necessary for them to have pelvic health slash global whole body health. Are there some exercises?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and this is really why I created my, my whole vagina whisper platform was, I think that there is so much that we're not teaching people that's really accessible. So when it comes to strengthening your pelvic floor, if there is a weakness issue, you know, we often think about what we've heard of Kegels, which are just pelvic floor contractions. But to strengthen your pelvic floor, you really want to kind of master that Kegel contraction, know how to do it properly with your breath work, with your transverse abdominal muscles, and then bring that into your workout, bring that into your function, bring that into your day to day. Using the muscle when you need it, whether it's with running, whether if it's coughing, whether it's with lifting, your child, your stroller, your weights. So kind of really learning how to functionally activate those muscles versus just doing Kegels in the carpool lane or when you're sitting at your desk. Mm-hmm. When it comes to weakness, I think that there's um, we really start with your breath. I think when you are holding your breath, I'm sorry, when we go to tension, we start with your breath when we think about tension, it's a lot of gripping and holding. And so just going to your breath can actually soften your pelvic floor muscles, taking big, deep breaths to kind of open your ribs and expand that diaphragm like an umbrella softens your pelvic floor so that you can rest and relax it. And then we teach yoga poses and different stretches to kind of release the pelvic floor. So, you know, depending on which lane you take, that's really what there is. And that's, you know, kind of what I really have worked to try to give people access to, because there's so much you can do that we're just not learning.
0: You were suggesting that it's very rare for a dude to reach out and say, Hey, come on the, the podcast. I want to talk about vaginal whispering and pelvic floors. I think there's a couple different lanes there. One, I think it's invaluable to feel empowered to be supportive to your wife or your partner. And so that's like, I think that's a really cool thing for me as I'm I'm listening to this. I'm like, oh man, like what an amazing asset to be able to actually be a resource and and be interested um, and what that would do in a a relationship. Uh, And then the other aspect, just selfishly, your pelvic floor and and pressure, they're all tied together. And so if you want to get gains and you want to get more jacked and be able to lift more weight, understanding, creating intra-abdominal pressure. Uh, and, and being able to just understand your internal pressure systems is, is going to be the path to do that. Um, so how does a person start to gain a relationship with understanding their internal pressure systems that that's even a thing? Cause that's a, I think that's a kind of like a kind of a far reaching idea for maybe many like gym bros, uh, or gym sisters or whatever. Uh, so how does a person start the process of like, Oh wow, like I'm, I'm, it's like multitude of bag pressurized bags in this body? How does a person start to come into a relationship with their pressurized bag self?
1: Right. <laughs> it's an amazing way to phrase it. Um, you know, so I think it, it's really if you are working out, I think we we know what that pressure system is, but we don't really know why we have it or how to optimize it. And when you think of really your core, which is ultimately where everything kind of stems from, we often just think about the abdominal wall, but your core is really your abdominal wall in the front, your pelvic floor at the bottom, your back muscles, and then and the backside, and then your diaphragm at the very top. So think of it almost like a Coke can. And that's really where your pressure exists. And what we're trying to do with fitness is we're trying to optimize that pressure system for you to make gains. We have started, you know, historically relied on tools like weight belts or back braces or supports to kind of give you more pressure that your body isn't giving you. But if you have to rely on those external sources, that's a sign that your body isn't able to work towards the threshold of your tissues can't support the threshold of what you're trying to get it to do. And you really need to create that system within yourself. The two ways that I really tell people to do that is you need to exhale with exertion. We think that by holding our breath, we'll be able to create more pressure, but it's actually the opposite. When you exhale, you're able to better activate your core muscles. So you draw in those transverse abdominal muscles, you pull in your pelvic floor with that Kegel contraction, and that becomes your bracing system for power as you exhale. You're better able to activate a Kegel and a core contraction with an exhale than with holding your breath. And I encourage people to try that. I'm like, okay, try to like hold your breath and then and then pull your pelvic floor, your abs in. It almost feels like they're stuck versus if you're able to inhale and exhale, pull pelvic floor and engage those low abs, you're able to solidify that pressure system and then you can exert more effort. So if you don't, you hold your breath and that's what leads to hernias or diastasis recti or prolapse or hemorrhoids. So that pressure, it doesn't have anywhere to go. So it's going to find a way out through one of those little holes or avenues, which we not what we want. So, you know, I really encourage people that may mean you have to pull back on your weight, that may mean you have to pull back on your intensity, start working on that core foundation, optimizing your pressure with your breath, and then push forward. And you're actually going to be able to be better, do better, lift better, all those things.
0: Is there a play? I I see a a weightlifting belt as a feedback mechanism. So it's a, a tool to educate a user to be able to create their own intraabdominal pressure because now they have a feedback to actually be able to create that outward pressure against or with. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, and is there a place to create a, or a necessity for someone who doesn't have a relationship to these parts to have feedback to understand how to create their in, own internal pressure? Because I feel like without the feedback, it can be kind of challenging. I guess you could use like fingers you, like, push in
1: yeah. As, yeah, so, as well, which
0: is another common technique.
1: Yeah, I think typically we, you know, in, in our clinic, the way we, we coach people is we have them kind of press on the palpate or kind of put their hands on the inside of their hip bones. And then when you you activate your pelvic floor, you activate your transverse abdominals, you can kind of feel that turn on. Um, you can even look in a mirror and see that draw in. I think weight belts, you know, I think that they give people a feedback. I think they give people a boost. You know, as a pelvic floor PT, I'm thinking about the long run of life. I'm thinking about what can your body sustain you, not just now, but in the long run, if you want to weight lift, if you want to do high intensity fitness, all of those things. Because eventually, if you are relying on this external system, you know, you're not able to do it without that. And ultimately, your body will kind of start to break down. So I think it's good initially, if you're using it for a feedback mechanism, but for me, it is a little bit of like an external support that we want optimally your body to be able to create its own support system internally. Yeah, There's no you know, right or wrong with it, I think. But if you're going to use it, you still have to make sure that you're exhaling, not bracing, not holding your breath. And that's where we're, I think we start seeing herniated discs happen, hernias happen, rectal prolapses happen because that pressure can't go anywhere else. And so it just finds a way out. Hmm.
0: What do you think that the best way to best is? You know, it's an, it's an odd word, but what's the the most supportive way to sit with regularity? My my suspicion is a big part of much of the modern diseases of mismatch is like a, a, a term for some of the the diseases that modern people are experiencing, where we're miss our biology is mismatched to the modern environment that we created. Everything's natural, you know, but it's still like not quite fitting with the orientation of our bodies for the last however many thousands or millions of years that we've been around resting positions are very normal they're very health inducing they're very supportive uh, and if you go to cultures like tanzania and you you know hang out with lots of people which i haven't but I, I know people that have and i've read research about their resting positions throughout the day and they rest about as much as western culture or industrialized culture does Uh, I think the average that I read in a study was like, it was like 9.82 hours a day, they're in resting positions, but the resting positions are, are somewhat active or they're, and, or they're, they're mobilizing their connective tissue. So they're kneeling, they're squatting, you know, they're essentially like being kids, like kids just don't stop or kids stop doing that once they get introduced to kindergarten and first grade. And then if a child starts to feel restless in those positions, then it's like, okay, they must have some type of mental condition and we need to get them on some type of medication to support this pathology. But then if you go to someplace where we don't have that containment, it's like, oh, you just kind of keep on going in those positions because they're actually, you know, they're, they're, they're just resting positions they are really supportive. So that was a, a long kind of monologue about my thoughts on excessive chair sitting throughout the day. Not the chair is bad. It's not evil. Uh, but if you're doing anything a lot, it can start to kind of form the body and the way that we're sitting in chairs doesn't really seem that ideal for the the structure and function of our pelvic floor muscles and the rest of our body. So like, what's the conversation there with chairs, resting positions? What do you think about spending time on the floor or on the ground, um, for pelvic floor health slash whole body health?
1: right so you know my favorite way to phrase this is your your best posture is your best position your to sit posture. in is, is your next one yeah so it's about movement it's about change so i think that you know i can say oh you want to sit with your feet flat on the floor and your legs uncrossed and your your back in a neutral spine position and supported but that's for a period of time until you move. So I think one of the biggest things is, especially in a culture where, I mean, I feel myself getting restless after an hour Zoom call and I'm, you know, you know, 40 and I think about my five and seven year old boys who they can't, you know, they're sitting, trying to sit in classrooms and then they're, oh, they're so a- hyperactive. I'm like, no, they're kids and they have energy. And this is really the way we're all supposed to function. But we've kind of gone down this pathway where a more sedentary lifestyle is the norm versus the other. So I, I think you know what I tell people is your best position is your next one. Your best posture is your next one, and that absolutely includes squatting, sitting, standing, shifting your weight, um, shifting surfaces. So I just really encourage you know set a timer, do something practical like every thirty minutes you move into a different position. You elevate your standing desk. You know you um, you switch to another chair. You you know uncross one leg, cross to the other. So it's just really much more about not staying in those stagnant positions with respect to pelvic floor health if you are slouching and sacral sitting is what we call it it tends to overactivate your pelvic floor muscles and that leads to tailbone pain and pelvic floor pain and tension if you are gripping and tightening your muscles by crossing your legs and you're stressed out also leads to tension I love squatting. I am Asian, and that's something that if you go to Asia, they're just squatting, stooping on the sidewalk all the time, and that's a very normal resting posture for them. So I always say the next, the, your best posture is your next one.
0: Yeah, and pelvic floor dysfunction. How is pelvic floor dysfunction in these countries that are regularly going through those like natural human resting
1: positions? Do you know anything about that? You know, it's a that? it's a great question. There's not a ton of research on it. You know, I think that would be really interesting to look at you know, are there the incidents of, you know, tailbone pain or painful intercourse or constipation? Are they any different in those countries that have different, um, different resting postures than the one we do now? I think ultimately what we know in the U.S. or in kind of Western culture is that what we're doing probably isn't working that well, <laughs> considering the health outcomes we have in our country mm-hmm. um, and the inactivity levels and, you know, the um, kind of comorbidities that exist. But I'm also a physical therapist where, you know, I chose a job where I wasn't going to be sitting at a desk all day. I want to be moving. I want to be switching positions and getting up and down and doing a stretch here, um, you know, working on someone there. So I really believe that that's how we're supposed to function. Um, I think motion is lotion, you know, so it's like the more you move, the more your tissues move, the more you breathe and things can expand. And that's really something that's been lost in our kind of daily work lifestyle.
0: I'd be curious to pick your mind around the relationship of your pelvic floor in relation to the uh, function of your respiratory diaphragm. And if there is chronic tension in your pelvic floor, are you going to be able to access full functionality of your respiratory diaphragm or would that create a limitation because those are all congruent tissue patterns there.
1: Absolutely. So they're really so closely connected and really well coordinated. And so what happens is, you know, when we talked about the Coke can analogy earlier that your respiratory diaphragm rests, it's a dome shaped muscle underneath your rib cage and it rests like the the top of a Coke can and your pelvic floor is the bottom of the Coke can. And they work in coordination so when you inhale, your diaphragm actually drops down, and then your pelvic floor muscles soften and relax and drop with that. And then when you inhale, your diaphragm lifts and contracts back up, and your pelvic floor muscles contract back with that. It. So it's, I'm sorry, it's an inhale, it drops down, exhale, it lifts up. So we want that to work in coordination if you have a really tight, tense pelvic floor that's really consistently lifted and contracted, that respiratory diaphragm can't go down and can't expand and contract to um, lengthen. And so you get what we find is upper chest breathers. So when I have people even just tune into their breath, I'm like, okay, take a deep breath in and put a hand on your chest and a hand on your belly and see where does that air go if it's going to your chest, it's ob- it's sometimes it's a sign that your diaphragm's kind of stuck because that mm-hmm. that air doesn't have anywhere to go, so it goes all up into your upper ribs, and that's where you get your breath. Versus what we really want is a coordinated effort of some belly breath and into your ribs and then into your chest, kind of like a wave coming up your body and then a wave going down your body, mm-hmm. versus all stuck in the upper chest. So. Yeah. Pelvic floor tension plays a huge role in how our, our diaphragm works. If one's stuck at the top, the, the one it can often be stuck at the bottom. And that's really where that pressure management comes in too. If you're tightening all the time at the bottom, you're not able to kind of get the right pressure management with your diaphragm. And it can lead to kind of other, um, other pathologies down the line.
0: Yeah, yeah, the analogy that's coming up in my head is imagining like a straw. If there's water in a straw and you put your finger at the top, you don't allow the pressure to move through, then the water just stays stuck. It's in your abdomen, your whole torso, your viscera, uh, its a well, your whole body is a closed hydraulic system. And so if you put your finger on some space, you don't allow that pressure to move. It's not going to just be in that one spot. It's going to impede the, the flow of that pressure throughout the whole system what about coming down into, so I think that's really interesting just to kind of like, huh, all right.
1: I love that analogy.
0: Yeah. So I was going to ask about the feet and, you know, more like distal proximal directions or, you know, away directions from the pelvic floor. Um, but I think coming back to that same idea, how does a person start to address if they do have kind of like a chronic tight ass, uh, And, you know, what do you think about, should we be like sitting on balls with, you know, putting some pressure up onto the pelvic floor? Should we be doing Kegels? Um, Is there a conversation? I know that there, I think you already mentioned it, uh, a conversation around the orientation of the pelvis to be able to actually be training those contractions from the Kegel muscles in a a stable functional position. Does that even matter? Orientation of the pelvis? What do you think about all that?
1: So if someone is experiencing tension or tone um in an increased manner so like a high higher resting tension or tone kegels are the opposite of what you would want to start with Um, if we're thinking about a muscle that's short and tight and almost kind of stuck we don't want to keep contracting or shortening that tight muscle with a with a Kegel. We want to lengthen it and soften it and relax it. And you know, again, we do that with those big, deep diaphragmatic breaths, where our ribs can kind of expand and we get more excursion of the diaphragm, which helps us relax and soften that pelvic floor. Um, if you're gripping your butt throughout the day, like try to grip your broad, butt and take a big, deep diaphragmatic breath. It's impossible. Because, in order to breathe properly, you need to relax that pelvic floor and unclench your tush. So I really start with the breath work um, and then you know the first step is awareness, like telling people like, how are you sitting? Are you sitting in a really slouched manner for hours on end? How are you standing? Are you gripping your butt you know um, when you're standing throughout the day? Are you sitting in traffic and you're gripping your tush? You know, I think really tuning in. Cause I can tell you, go home and do child's pose for like, it's a yoga stretch. Um, do a deep squat like malasana and really get deep and breathe or, um, a happy baby pose, you know, do all of those things. But if you walk away from that session of doing a lot of that down training for your pelvic floor and you go back into your day and you're just tightening your butt all day, that's not going to be that effective for you. So I think it's this combination of doing these down training relaxation stretches and breathing practices but then also looking at how are you functioning throughout your day where you do you need to be kind of shifting positions throughout the day checking in with your breath so that you're not holding tension in your pelvic floor and glutes and just incorporating some of those practices so that we can retrain your system retrain your muscles on how to get back to a lower level of activity
0: What's up guys, I wanna share one of my favorite tools in my fridge for clean energy and cognitive clarity that is ketone IQ. If you've ever tried fasting, you may have experienced that sensation of almost euphoric clarity that you get around like day two or day three. It's like you tap into some second well of energy that feels much more clear than caffeine. And that is your body starting to produce endogenous ketones. There's a way that we can quote unquote hack that by drinking exogenous ketones. And I've tried a bunch of different brands. uh, They taste typically like some form of gasoline mixed with something else terrible and ketone iq i actually like the taste of it which is great uh, i think it is definitely worthwhile for any person that runs any person that maybe is doing some type of weight loss type scenario it also reduces appetite The stuff feels borderline like magic i'm not embellishing i think once you try it you'll be pretty impressed. Uh, they also have a money back guarantee and you can try it for yourself by going over to hvmn.com slash align and you will get 20% off. So you use the promo code align for 20% off. The URL is hvmn.com slash align, A-L-I-G-N. Check it out. I think you guys are going to think it is pretty impressive and I look forward to hearing about it. Where in your uh, experience with patients have you seen sexual trauma come into pelvic floor pathology or dysregulation?-
1: So this is a big question. Um, you know I think that sexual trauma assault or what we even consider traumatic, is underreported. And I a lot of the folks that we work with who experience sexual pain or pelvic pain or painful intercourse have a higher incidence of sexual trauma than those who don't experience those symptoms. So, you know, if you have five people and, you know, four of them um, have experienced trauma, um, they are, you know, have a higher risk of developing pelvic pain and vice versa. If you have four people and they have pelvic pain, those people, more of those people are more likely survivors. So our bodies hold on to tension and trauma, And this is a part of our body, our pelvic floor and our pelvis is a part of our body like anything else, whether it's a hip, a neck, a shoulder, you know, and I think that oftentimes when we're doing our work in pelvic floor therapy and addressing some of these issues that are really symptoms or manifestations or kind of puzzle pieces to pain, um, I think that a lot of that trauma can kind of start excavating. I think it can be a really healing process for people to work through this. Um, in a not just in not just an emotional, psychological way, but also a really physical way. So, you know, it definitely plays a role. Um, There's definitely higher incidence in in the pelvic health community or pelvic floor community or for those who have pain have also experienced trauma in this area as well.
0: Is there some value in increasing one's sexual um, performance is like a dumb word, but um, I don't know, access to depth of sexuality or something. I don't know, but sexual performance with, by, um, strengthening or relaxing their pelvic floor muscles. And that's one question. And then I'm also curious. Well, I'll just ask that question and I have a, a more provocative question
1: okay. coming. <laughs> um, we're jumping all over the place here. So yeah. I, yeah. You know, we, Yeah, absolutely. I think, first of all, when we have sexual intercourse or any kind of sexual arousal, we release oxytocin in our bodies, which is a really good, feel-good hormone. And so the more we can do that, the better. And so I think that some of the barriers to intercourse um, for both genders, all genders, has been pain. If you're experiencing pain with intercourse, um, that makes you not want to do it. It's like touching a hot burner. You don't want to just keep resting your hand on the stove if it's hot. So we start kind of putting up a guard, putting up some protective barriers, which is very normal if something is painful. So I think in the sense of somebody who is experiencing tension or discomfort, um, that's going to play into that decreased sexual desire, decreased libido, um, and sometimes avoidance of sexual activity. So if it's a pain issue, if it's a tension issue, um, or tense issue, I think it's absolutely worth addressing. I always say intercourse or sexual activity should be enjoyable, it should be pleasurable, and it should never be painful. Pain is never normal. It's information from our bodies.
0: Well, what about outside of like, like clear, uh, you know, dysfunction or pathology or pain? Uh, what about just general, like a, a generally healthy person that wants to have better sex? Is there any value in uh, addressing the pelvic floor for that? Yeah.
1: yeah. So from the flip side, if somebody doesn't have pain or dysfunction, I think that um, These are muscles and the the tighter, more tense muscles that are there, but still functional. They can still empty your bladder well. They can still have good poops. They can still support your organs. Um, I think that there's people absolutely feel more pleasure there. You can have increased lubrication in the area. You can have stronger orgasms. You can have longer erections. Um, you know, all of these, you can have longer, you know, episodes of sexual activity. So I think that there's absolutely a benefit there. But I always encourage folks that this is also a functional muscle. So sex is kind of one avenue that it can do one, one role. And as long as it's kind of not compromising those other day to day functions, like, you know, peeing and pooping and all and birth and all those other things. But I think it's a great way for people to feel like they can absolutely work on their sexual health by strengthening these muscles. Especially with aging, these muscles can weaken, so it's something you want to be really mindful of. We know that erectile dysfunction increases as we get older, or vaginal laxity increases as we get as we age. So those are things that you can proactively work on.
0: What about for a fella that wants to? I don't know if you're are you familiar with any like Montauk Chia or like sexual yoga or concepts like that, or, or like like um, what is it called? What's the book called? multi orgasmic Male, uh, but going to various different practices to be able to extend orgasms for a guy. Um, and a part of that would be strengthening the, the pubococcygeal muscles, mm-hmm. um, which can stop you from ejaculating. Mm-hmm. And in those books, they suggest, you know, too much ejaculations and no, no, um, there is s- something to extending the orgasmic potential of a guy that, it's. I don't think it's like a very popular idea in, in Western culture. Really, it's interesting. Um, do you know anything about that 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 realm to be able to, to speak on it here, or or not so much? It's okay. Yeah, I that. mean,
1: I think I know about it from a really kind of physiological perspective. Is to like what are the muscles that help maintain an orgasm, or I'm sorry, mm-hmm. maintain an erection and then contribute to orgasm? So, yeah. Again, these muscles are like any other muscle in our body. If we want that muscle to be more endurance to last longer. So the way that, to even take a step back, like the way that erections work is that you have arousal, which increases blood flow into the penile shaft. There's no muscles in the penis. It's actually just connective tissue with all these little tunnels for blood, but your pelvic floor muscles tighten up at the base of the penis, and that's what keeps blood in the penis for an erection. So if you don't have really strong pelvic floor muscles that can have endurance that can stay tight and strong for a long period of time, that erection can start failing or kind of losing it over time. So you do want to have nice, strong, endurance pelvic floor muscles to maintain erections. And then when you reach climax or orgasm, these muscles contract and relax. And that's what expels semen out of the urethral opening. So it's we want strong, you do want strong pelvic floor muscles to be able to maintain those erections. And the way you get strong pelvic floor muscles is you strengthen them. You do Kegel contractions, you do exercises, but you don't want to overactivate them. You don't want to just walk around with a tight Kegel all the time because that's not how you strengthen a muscle. Um, you don't just walk around with your bicep flexed all day to strengthen your bicep. You want kind of a good contraction, good relaxation, holding that muscle for 10, 20 seconds, and then relaxing it in between. So we want coordination. And you the relaxation piece is, is as important as the contraction. If you have a too tight muscle, you're not going to get that blood flow in there that you're looking for. So you want to contract that muscle, but you also want to relax and soften it. And that's where the balance comes in.
0: What are your thoughts on prostate massage for a guy? Mm-hmm. Uh, Benoit balls or whatever mm-hmm. the terms are for things you put in your yoni
1: mm-hmm. or your
0: vagina? and contract around and whatnot, um, butt beads Mm
1: -hmm. for
0: a gal or a fella. Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you think of putting devices in your orifices for pelvic floor health?
1: I think it's okay. I think, but we always want to think about like, what are you trying to achieve? So if you are looking for stronger pelvic floor muscles, Benoit balls or what we call, you know, Kegel balls or Jade eggs or Kegel weights, um, it's a great way to do it. But again, you don't want to just tighten this muscle all day. I think with Benoit balls, we've been taught that you just walk around with a ball in your vagina and that's going to get it stronger. The way that you strengthen a muscle is the contraction with a relaxation. So you can use those devices for strengthening and contract and relax and use them in different positions. And I think that that's totally excellent. But again, the focus is on both parts of that, the, the full range of motion of the muscle um, the trick is, but I'm like, it, but oftentimes the narrative for these devices is like, it's going to give your vagina magical powers. Like a J-Dig is not going to give your vagina magical powers, but can it strengthen it? Sure. Absolutely. And it's a great device to use. Um, I think with respect to um, anything anally, it's the same thing. You can contract that muscle, but you just want to make sure that you're relaxing it as well. When it comes to prostate massage, it's just a little bit different different type of maneuver, Prostate massage, you know, there's some different theories behind it that massaging the prostate, you excrete fluid from the prostate that's separate from, from semen. It can decrease your risk of infection. Um, it can kind of, it's like a pipe. You kind of are clearing out the pipes and getting good fluids in there. Um, it can be satisfying for people. It can help relieve tension or pain or restriction. Um, it can optimize sexual health. So I think that there are some benefits to it. Do I think it's something that everybody has to do? No. Do I think it's harmful. No, I think it's per individual. There are some benefits and there's not a lot of risk to it.
0: Hmm. I, a curiosity that I have, um, is around birthing and effective birthing positions. It seems to me that it would make sense to birth a child vertically. Uh, and like leverage gravity in my limited understanding of, of, of the world and, and, and birthing. Uh, And maybe like in water could be an interesting approach as well. Um, Is, are we doing, are we making the right decision to birth on our backs? Is that the most sensible thing? Like, I don't, what do you, is there other ways to birth Yes, that would be effective. Like <laughs> yes. it seems, it seem, I, I would, I would presume if you were a woman in the Amazon or somewhere in you know the, Africa, and you were birthing a child, my feeling is you probably wouldn't lay down in your back and do it. But you know, I'm, I'm just a a bro mansplaining the vagina, I, so right. I don't really know. Um, what, What's right, so now. I'll
1: take over. But you did great yeah. because that Thank is the you. right question to ask. Um, yeah. And I think that that's why it's really amazing <laughs> to have, um, you know, a, other genders outside of females in this conversation. Because not only are you considerate of what would my partner need, but you're a healthcare provider, you're a wellness provider. Um, you know, you're in a healthcare community where you may be seeing female clients. So I think you, it's important to be well versed on. Hey, this is something that's going on. You should probably go see this person for more expertise, um, which would be a pelvic health PT. So when it comes to birth, I have a lot of challenges with the way that we are running things now, and absolutely there are better options for birth than lying on your back. Oftentimes, the reason someone's lying on their back is they're medicated, so there's limited mobility in what they could do. Um, you can kind of shift different positions when you're when you have an epidural or you're anesthetized, but it's harder. Um, and I think it's more comfortable for the medical provider to have somebody lying on their back. If you do have an epidural, my favorite position to give birth is lying on your side because it allows more expansion of the pelvis. Your pelvis is this ring of bones and you have a joint in the front and the joint in the back so that your pelvis can expand and move. And we're not optimizing that when you're lying on your back. We're literally making it as stiff as possible and closing the outlets, which is not the best way to birth. So I think when it comes to labor, you're absolutely correct. Being in an upright position for a longer period of time and squatting, moving around, walking, all of those help baby kind of press um, down on the cervix of the uterus that helps with dilation and helps baby come down the birth canal. The same thing with birth that was like your best position is your next one. I think movement is key. There's no like you have to squat, you have to be on hands and knees, you have to lie down. It's movement and it's options. I think we're not giving people options of, hey, if it feels best to squat to birth, squat. If it feels best to, lie, best to lie on your side, lie on your side. We're kind of mandating this is the best way when there are so many other options for them.
0: It feels, as you're describing that, it feels like many people in – the modern world it are almost like guests in their body, which might be a little a little too like esoteric or poetic. but I feel like when you meet someone that is maybe a dancer or like a lifelong athlete and they've just been really engaged in their physical experience. I feel like the way that that person engages with injuries and rehab and perhaps even birthing process or raising children, oftentimes they have this intuition of like no this feels right. Like I need to do this. Whereas if a person doesn't have that kinesthetic IQ or just like internal awareness or intelligence or relationship, I think it makes more sense to be more passive into like, okay, you're the expert. Just tell me what to do. I think there's a balance of you're the expert. Tell me what to do. I trust you. And there's also sometimes it pays dividends to develop a relationship, a kinesthetic relationship with yourself because no one's going to know your body better than you. But I don't know if there's uh Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense.
1: And and, um, I think a guest, you know what I often say is that we, the way that the healthcare system is set up right now is that we're passengers in the process. That all of this stuff just happens to us and we're just supposed to go along for the ride versus being drivers in the healthcare process. I think oftentimes we're told this is what you need to do and we're not even allowed to ask questions or investigate further or get second opinions. It's like, yeah. well, I'm the expert and I'm going to tell you what your body needs. And I yeah. think that again, what I'm a huge proponent of is I'm i I encourage people to advocate for themselves, to ask questions, to find the healthcare providers that really align with the experience you're looking for um, who don't have their hand on the doorknob the entire time you're talking to them who are open to giving you options for especially things like birth and pelvic floor rehab. Um, But I think that it's also hard. I think that if you are a person like me, it may be a little bit easier to advocate for yourself. But even I struggle with it. I mean, even during my own birth, I think when we're going to seek care for something that we're not the expert in, it feels really vulnerable. And you do start second guessing yourself. So I think we even see this with you know, elite athletes who had really difficult birth experiences, because that's not in their space. And they are kind of leaning to an expert, but that expert doesn't isn't necessarily optimizing the best practices for birth. So yeah, um, I do really encourage people to advocate for themselves to find healthcare providers that that are open, and not gaslighting them or dismissing them. Um, But it's really hard.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, something that's I think really more impactful than we realize, <clears throat> my feeling, is the, the human uh, defecation position is a squat. That's like how the, 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 the hominid poops. Um, and as you go into that squat, you elongate the rectum, you uh, lower the anorectal angle, so like your poop chute opens up, you relax the muscles. Wrapping around the rectum, I think it's a, the puborectalis. It's like it, it opens up the poop chute for a defecation. And the modern world has uh, worked ourselves into a physical orientation where we don't even have access to that natural position anymore. And I wonder, it seems like, cool, whatever. If you have access, if you're squat, you're just some you know hippie new age person. Uh, and then at the same time, it is something that is like it's th- it's the way that the human poops is f- forever. You s- you squat. You're in the woods. That's that's what you do. Like, are there other implific- impl- implications and ramifications of missing out on a what, uh, what seems to be in my mind like a really fundamental human resting position? Again,
1: totally. I mean, I'm a huge advocate of using a stool under your feet to poop so that you can get into that squatting position in on a Western toilet. Um, I talk about it all the time on Instagram because it's so easy to do and it's a game changer for your bowel movements. And again, if you're not emptying well, um, it can lead to not just pelvic health issues, but just overall health issues. And we all know, like if you can take a really good dump in the beginning of the day, like you're already starting your day off pretty damn good, you know? So, um, and and I think that even if we look back to kids, like when you see little kids, they squat in their diapers to poop. If you've ever been to Asia or um, you know other Eastern, um, Southeastern countries in Asia, it's they all squat over the ground to have bowel movements. It's not weird. I think what we do is kind of weird. <laughs> you know, we created it, we created thrones for people to poop on, but now we're almost backtracking, and saying, "Okay, everybody, use a stool under your feet to help you get into more of a squatting position to relax your pelvic floor muscles." To better empty and that's like hands down i have my kids use one we use one i have one in my clinic because it's just much more of an optimal physiologic way to have a bowel movement
0: i want to take a moment and share about something that has truly made a massive difference in my life as of recent that is going through the diagnostic process with life force life force is a health optimization company that is bringing a personalized approach to help you take control of your health. It all starts with the Lifeforce Diagnostic, a comprehensive blood test that measures over 40 biomarkers that impact your mental and physical health, from your nutrient levels to hormone balance to key risk factors for disease and much more. The Lifeforce Diagnostic gave me a snapshot of precisely what the heck is happening inside of my body. Then the next step, I jumped on a call with a Lifeforce Functional Medicine doctor and she was absolutely amazing I asked her a whole gamut of questions and uh, it's probably a pretty annoying patient I would say because I just kept asking questions and she kept having answers she was incredibly welcoming incredibly sweet and just really brilliant with the information Um, so she mapped out a very clear concise plan uh, for me Uh, she was working with me I think I just felt very supported the whole time Uh, some of the things that we saw there was a deficit with me was particularly dhea and then also omegas so they got me on a couple nutraceuticals and i swear to god um i since starting these guys i feel um, almost uncomfortable saying it like this because it's an ad but it truly made a massive difference my word recall my energy levels my libido um, has has significantly shifted since starting so I'm freaking excited, and I would absolutely implore any of y'all to at least get the diagnostic done so you can get that snapshot of what's going on inside of your blood, what is going on inside of your biology, so you're not guessing. You know exactly what's happening and then you can start making decisions from there. If you'd like to get 15% off, uh, you can go to mylifeforce.com. That's M-Y-L-I-F-E-F-O-R-C-E.com and then use a line code at checkout for 15% off. And that is a very meaningful 15% off as well. So I can't recommend it enough. I think you guys are going to really dig it. I think it's going to be really amazing for your own health journey jump over to mylifeforce.com and use the align code for 15% off. Want to take a moment and share the first thing that I do every day upon waking up and i find it to be invaluable for increasing my energy levels and improving my digestive health as well as giving me a sense of reassurance that i'm getting the vitamins minerals and pre and probiotics that i need for a healthy gut and healthy body that is taking a scoop of a g1 a g1 from athletic greens is so much more than just a greens powder essentially if you took your multivitamin a mineral supplement and a pre and probiotic and wrap that up into one delicious beverage. That is what you're getting with AG1. I'm a massive fan of this stuff. It's the first thing I do every day. I originally learned about it through a friend called Andrew Huberman that I'm sure y'all are familiar with. And he has been a massive fan of AG1 from Athletic Greens since 2012. He stands by it, I stand by it. It's the first thing I do every day I wake up do a scoop of that. I take a little walk outside, I get some sunlight, and I find it to be an incredibly delicious way to know that I'm hitting my basis with getting my daily nutrients, as well as improving my short and long-term gut health. So if y'all want to take ownership of your health, today is a great time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D, which is invaluable, especially considering it's winter, as well as five free travel packs with your first purchase. I think this stuff is an absolute no-brainer, so you can get started by going to athleticgreens.com align. That's athleticgreens.com align. That's A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-G-R-E-E enscom slash align. so confident you guys are gonna enjoy this stuff jump over check it out athleticgreens.com slash this doesn't relate to the pelvic floor but have you ever thought about how strange toilet paper is
1: <laughs> no but i do have a bidet so i guess i have thought about it <laughs> you
0: have thought about it it's our 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 whole pooping situation is like is completely in conflict with any form of logic from my perspective.
1: Yeah, that's like we're funny. blocking
0: ourselves up. Um, we're you know, smearing we're, we're it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were like we're like myopically focusing into our cell phone, or it used to be the newspaper or magazine or whatever. You know, so we're creating tension throughout yeah. the rest of our autonomic nervous system with our eyes. Um, we're, our breath is probably stuck already, yeah. which is probably a part of constipation situation going on. Um, and then at the end you take this bleached piece of tree that's been shipped across the planet and you smear fecal matter around your butt cheeks. And then you go off in your day like nothing nothing weird happened here.
1: <laughs> I'm like, bro, what are we <laughs> done? <laughs> when you break it down that way, yeah, toilet paper. What are you or- doing? <laughs> you would never
0: do that. Like There'd never be a situation. If you got some poo on your forearm, you right. would never say, hey, do you have a rag? There's feces on my arm 100% of the time you'd go to the faucet and you would rinse the poo off right. your arm we, what are um, we doing
1: we I remember when COVID hit a couple of years ago <laughs> I was like oh we're fine we have a bidet I mean once you go bidet you're never going back so of course um, I have a friend who has a travel bidet and it looks like a you know electric toothbrush and he gets stopped in TSA to like they're like what is this well, you know but um much. he's like I, I a can- shower I can never, and that's what we do for our kids. I mean, we don't take toilet paper to babies' butts and wipe their poo off. We take moist wipes because we know that water and liquid is more cleansing. So what um, are we doing? Yeah, we're moving backwards. I mean, we went way too far in one direction, and I think we're like, okay, now bidets, okay, now poop stools, and you know, really working backwards to um, what is the most sensible way to poop.
0: I think the way that we poop and the way that we wipe said poop from our, our our bum is perhaps evidence that there may be other misfits in the way that we live our our lives in the modern world. <laughs> a you symptom
1: know? of a bigger issue.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because if you go if you look at that you'd be like, you know, normal American person you'd be like, of course, like this is the only way you would do that. If you were to go to some toilet situation in Guatemala or Thailand or something, and there's like you know, no no throne, no toilet, and then there's like a hose in the room, you'd be like, These animals.
1: <laughs> We're really real they look at us and they're like those idiots. You know <laughs> And they're
0: right. And they're right. That's the thing. Like they're objectively correct. <laughs> like this is actually there's this is not a subjective thing here. This is like no, that's objectively you are correct, sir.
1: <sighs> that's great. So maybe that's the takeaways that everybody needs to squat when they poop and Rinse with water.
0: What are some other examples like that that you see in in culture? What's that's a big glaring one for me. The way that's that we a poo- huge the one way that we handle it afterwards. Is yeah, there I any think, other 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 standouts? Are like what are we doing?
1: Yeah, I think two two standouts is a, a ton of people push when they pee, men, mm. female. I mean, it's another one of those things that it's like it's a it's a bodily function that we're trying to rush. So when All you right. push when you pee, you're actually Tensing your muscles, which is going to lead to more incomplete emptying. Like, you want to just relax your pelvis, just breathe. Um, This is why I often tell C men, and they're like, I can't start my stream. I'm like, put your hand against the wall and just lean into the wall so that you can relax better so that you can empty. And so, um, or, you know, busy moms who were like, they've got screaming babies and they're pushing their pee out so they can pee as fast as possible. I'm like, this is a basic human function that we just need to give a little bit more time to. So, um, I think just you know, not hovering over the toilet, sitting on the toilet, obviously white. Who hovers or,
0: over the toilet? Is that a, oh, is that a girl so thing? Oh, so
1: many. Yeah, it's a girl thing. When That's a girl pee. thing. You, yes, tons of people. Only, I mean, and there's some of there's them are gross. Of out there. Some of them are gross. So you sit on the toilet. But not like your toilet. home
0: toilet. There's no, there's no women no women. home No, not over in your home. home. No, okay,
1: but there's... if you're outside of the home, people hover quite a bit. <clears throat> well,
0: what you got to do is you got to cultivate a deep squat and then you squat on the toilet. That's not a joke. That's what I do. It's well, not a big deal. Peeing, I'm a I'm a, I'm a 220 pound, like gorilla ape esque man, and I <laughs> I get up on the toilet. I hold the walls. I balance myself up like a little baby bird, and I. That's how I do my number twos.
1: I think that's great, but for peeing, a lot of people
0: <laughs> cover. Would it not work for peeing? I don't know. I've never peed as a woman. I don't that, think. I think you
1: can just sit. You can just sit to pee. But we just want you oh, to okay. sit. You don't need to hover. No, I
0: mean to. I mean to avoid the hover. To stop the hover. If you're like, if you don't want your butt cheeks on the floor, or on the on the uh, the toilet seat, couldn't you just no? Squat you can
1: Yeah, you could squat. Yeah.
0: That's what
1: we do when we pee outside. You squat.
0: That's what I'm saying. We got to bring it back.
1: I know. So it's just holes in the ground. Is
0: yeah. I love a hole in the me. ground. Um. All right. Is there anything else we should we should mention about the pelvic floor?
1: It's important. And, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I think, you know, we covered so much in this conversation that it really starts leading you to think, like, oh, wow, this is a pretty important muscle that one, I don't know a lot about and we're not educated about. Two, if I'm having issues in any of these areas, I probably need to go see a specialist in this arena Um, because these issues don't just go away. If anything, they tend to get worse and then they're a little bit harder or um, take a little bit longer to improve. And um, two is that we want to normalize this conversation. I think this is talking about a part of your body, like talking about your foot or your neck or your back. It's just another body part. And we don't want to normalize problems with it. We want to normalize conversations around it. And I think that this is an amazing way to do that. And, And I'm super excited that I've been able to share that with your community.
0: Where do you think the origin of shame around the sexual organs originates?
1: Well, wearing underwear.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: I mean, if you think about it, we cover it up. Yeah. We don't talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I think even tracing, and then we give it nicknames. Like we don't, we don't call our elbow something different. So I'm not sure why we call this part of our body cookie or cha-cha or anything else than what it is. So, you know, I think that culturally it, it's, it's, not wrong for it to be sensitive or difficult to talk about because we're talking about really private, you know, experiences someone has. Sex, birth, peeing, pooping. These aren't kind of normal dinner table conversations for most people. For me, they are, but not for most people. Um, So I think it's just, these are intimate topics, but I think that that makes it hard to talk about. But I also think that when we talk about them, we're greeted with this either dismissiveness or disgust or distaste or, um, you know, like, oh, that's just kind of normal for your life stage and there's no resources to send someone. So I think it's a multi-layered do, issue.
0: Do you, this kind of comes back to the sexual trauma, but doesn't necessarily need to be like a, a rape per se. Do, do you think that there could be, um quote unquote trauma which you know could just be like unprocessed information of sorts that transpired in someone's life they're still holding on to around shame around their sexual organs or maybe like a psychosexual stages of development Freudian thing like the the anal phase of development for a child which i think is like zero to three um or the phallic phase you know where you're going through this like really deep and meaningful time of getting to know your most intimate aspects of yourself and the way that you poop and the way that you pee and getting an erection. Like, what is this? You know, my vagina is bleeding. What, what, what's that all about? Right. Um, Do you feel there could be some type of, uh, psychosomatic relationship to held tension in and around the sexual organs that could be inhibiting our access, healthy access to them?
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, It's We see it commonly in highly religious communities when there's a lot of guilt around sex or sexual activity. Um, There's clear research, actually, that people who have sexual guilt um, related to religious beliefs actually experience more pain with sex. And so Mm. I think that it's not that all religion leads to pain with sex, but I think that when there's a guilt component, there is evidence that that does play a role. And so we can see kind of some of these societal systems or belief systems we have – Definitely affect us in a very physiological way. And um, and it's, you know, I think that there's two ends of the spectrum. I think we don't want to over sexualize things because these parts of your body are not just sexual. But I also don't think that it needs to be so hidden and quiet and hush hush that we're uninformed. We're um, disconnected from this part of our body either. I think that there's a really healthy middle ground that we're trying to work towards. I think the conversations that we're having now as adults. Translates to our next generations. Like I'll be able to, I do have these conversations with my kids and, um, they're very familiar with body parts and how we call them and how we name them and what they do. And, um, so I think that as we get more comfortable with those conversations, I think there we're able to pass that along.
0: Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks so much for, uh, normalizing this conversation with me. Those good times.
1: Thanks for having uh, where's,
0: me. Where's, yeah. Where's a good place to point people from here if they want to go deeper into, uh, their own vagina whispering experience.
1: <laughs> so step one would be, um, I would check out my website, which is the vaginawhisper.com And on there, we have a ton of actually free resources just about pelvic floor health, um, birth preparation, um, pelvic floor strengthening, where to start exercises to start with. And then my whole kind of um, platform of exercises, if you're looking either for strengthening or postpartum recovery or painful sex, kind of a ton of exercise programs for that and then you can find me on instagram at the vagina whisperer
0: cool well sweet well thank you so much um i appreciate you i enjoyed this conversation a lot and uh thank you all for tuning in and that is it that's all see you next week hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with the great power vagina whisperer sarah reardon uh she's great And uh, if you guys want to share some of the topics, some clips from this, you can tag myself at Lion Podcast. You can tag her at Vagina Whisperer on Instagram. And uh, once again, appreciate you subscribing. Thank you for sharing this. Thank you for leaving us reviews. Thanks for doing you. I'll see you next week.